chapter number fifty three of just as i am this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c just as i am by mary elizabeth braden chapter fifty three the rest is silence sir everard was alone standing with an absent air in a deserted room where everything from the open piano to the little heap of daintily bound duodecimos on the table by the sofa seemed to speak of dulcie lord blockmarden and his son and daughter had taken leave immediately after mrs aspinall's departure the bishop had followed them the bustle and excitement appertaining to even the quietest wedding were over and done with scroop and his man were clearing the table and carrying off the fine old georgian tankards and college cups to the pantry there to be swathed in bays preparatory to being confined in the gloom of an iron-lined plate room the gardeners had left their work indulged with a holiday in honour of miss courtney's marriage the village schoolroom was being prepared for a festal tea the joy bells were ringing gaily in the old square tower but here at fairview all was very quiet and lonely how i shall miss her now and hereafter mused sir everard looking round the familiar room while he was standing thus contemplating the things associated with his daughter's past life almost as if they were living creatures and could in some wise sympathize with him in his hour of sorrow the glass door was softly opened and he heard the silken rustlings of a woman's gown creeping towards him as he stood with his back to the door he turned suddenly half expecting to see her whose image so completely filled his thoughts and yet he knew that she was far away by this time in london or on the road to dover it was not dulcie but francis grange don't be angry with me for coming back she faltered looking up at him shyly her colour changing from red to pale as she spoke i wanted so much to know your plans to say ever so many things which i was afraid to say before the bishop and mrs aspinall so when the carriage was halfway to blackmarden i told the sheik i had some business in the village and left him to go home with belleville are you vexed with me for worrying you vexed with you for being kind and full of compassion no my fair diana i am very grateful to you i was just feeling horribly lonely and it is a comfort to see someone whom dulcie loves to be able to talk of her with her favourite friend yes i think she is fond of me said francis thoughtfully i tried very hard to win her love and you succeeded in winning it without stint i can never thank you enough for your goodness you came to us in the hour of trouble 
and brought life and light into our home god knows how we should have fared without you i am thankful to think i was of use i am proud to remember that you trusted me answered frances gravely her color that bright carnation which harmonized so perfectly with her nut-brown skin had not yet come back she was very pale and full of thought sit down in my darling's chair said sir everard you must give me my tea the last i shall taste in this house you are going away at once to-night i leave by the mail and you are not coming back till next spring no you see the doctors insist upon my spending the winter in algiers and i have my own ideas as to my destination in the spring francis grange understood him there is nothing so quick to understand as a girl's sympathy with a man of graver years whom she has taken it into her head to worship and francis grange had made sir everard her hero even the reserve which kept her at a distance tempered as it was by kindly feeling and an evident appreciation of her charms gave strength and depth to her regard and you are going away alone quite alone to be ill perhaps in a strange country without a friend it is most likely i shall have to bear even that but i have a capital servant a fellow as faithful as brian's fletcher a man of considerable education you need not think of me as altogether miserable i am content that my life should finish in gloom now that dulcie is secure of spending hers in the sunshine of a happy love i leave fairview but my thoughts and my affection will still hover round it for dulcie will be here with her husband it is to be their home when they return from their honeymoon sir everard i cannot bear to think of your being alone in that strange remote country i don't know how to say it but i feel as if i could be of use to you a companion to you sometimes in your hours of weariness that i might in some poor degree fill your daughter's place will you let belleville and me come with you i can make him do anything i like dear good fellow i don't mean for us to be with you always only to be in the same hotel or the same town to be at hand if you wanted sympathy to nurse you if you were ill let us come she looked up at him with tearful eyes her hands clasped a childlike reverent affection in her attitude and expression that smote him to the heart oh had he but been worthy of such a love could he but have said be my wife make the remnant of my days blessed he might have gathered one of the fairest flowers that ever bloomed within the reach of a man's hand conscience and honor forbade he only took the clasped hands in both his own and bent down to kiss the pale forehead 
my sweetest child i am unworthy of your goodness i am unworthy of one thought from you i am more touched than i can say by this last evidence of your regard i shall treasure the memory of your sweetness till i am clay but the home to which i am going will allow no such fair companionship neither love nor friendship can enter there over the door of that dwelling is inscribed no woman must enter i cannot understand faltered francis dear girl you will know all in good time but be sure always that your affection has lent a light to this last hour of my worldly life which will help to brighten my way to the grave you will be kind to dulcie will you not when i am far away you will not let new ties blot her out of your mind never exclaimed francis i am not likely to make new ties with the conviction of a woman who believes she is done with love forever because she once loved in vain and dulcie will be as dear as a sister to me as long as i live there is no chance of my changing i only hope she will not change but you will come back next may sir everett you will see your daughter happy in her new life i feel sure that a winter in the south will do wonders for you i shall never come back to england any more do not look so grieved francis i have chosen the path which i know is most likely to lead to peace were i to live for twenty years it would be the same i shall bid farewell to england and all old associations to-morrow morning i have no right to question your motives or your determination said francis sadly you have been very good to me and i have spent many happy hours in this house may god give you all blessings wherever you go good-bye good-bye dear child he said and this time he folded her in his arms and kissed her as he would have kissed dulcie francis he said gently and gravely if i had been a good man i should have asked you to be my wife and then the end of my life might have been very different she looked up at him with the infinite confidence of a woman not over wise but unselfishly devoted i can trust you and be happy with you whatever you are she whispered no love i would not wrong you so deeply they went out together by the glass door and along the avenue to the lodge gate and here they parted for ever a month later it was known at austinthorpe that sir everard courtenay had turned romanist and had joined a trappist brotherhood whose monastery is situated on an elevated plain a few miles from algiers over the door of that monastery appears the inscription no woman must enter here never more on this earth can dulcie see her father 
his life is of the severest kind he rises at two every morning to spend silent hours in prayer he is excused from labor on account of his declining health for it is known to the fraternity that he has come among them to die there is an inscription on the wall of the refractory which faces the new brother as he sits at the frugal meal and which he contemplates often with his sad smile le plaisir de maurier sans pline vaut bien la peine de vivre sans plaisir dulcie is happy or as nearly happy as it is given to any mortal with a conscience and a heart to be in this world she carries about with her always as a part of her own existence the memory of her father's sorrow and her father's crime but before the first year of her wedded life is done the english brother is lying at rest in the grave that he dug for himself far away under the blue southern sky and it is an unspeakable comfort to her to know that he confessed his sin and that his whole after-life from the hour in which he sinned was one long repentance she believes that the god who might deal hardly with the hardened sinner will surely deal mercifully with the penitent so life goes on peacefully at a jog-trot pace at austinthorpe and tangley and blackmarden morton and his wife are a model couple and dora blake is happier sitting on the sunny lawn with her nephew's first baby on her lap and she has ever been since her brother's untimely death in all morton's efforts in all his triumphs successes and disappointments lizzie goes with him hand in hand and though she has now been married nearly two years she has never yet reproached him for not having taken her advice nor gloried in the discomfiture due to a neglect of her opinion in parliament he has been eminently successful not because he is a genius but because he has the rare gift of being a thorough workman he has spoken often and well has been heard with deference and is supposed to have done good service to the cause he has at heart nor has he ever been less than his word in the consideration which he has shown to his wife's relations mr and mrs hardman have been to tangley and have been made much of and have behaved themselves admirably after their own homely fashion mary and mary's husband have also been entertained at the manor house and though the self-opinionated printer has bored his host a little by the arrogant assertion of his adverse opinions morton has endured the infliction with laudable patience for mary's sake that worthy young woman looking up to her husband as an oracle whose opinions ought to be the backbone of the times newspaper but at tangley jessie is the favorite she has given up her sewing machine except as a useful companion 
for leisure hours to assist her in making her own gowns and innumerable garments for the tangley and austinthorpe poor she divides her life between the manor house and the pretty suburban cottage to which mr and mrs hardman have removed the fray horsehair sofa untrustworthy clock and other household goods a cottage the freehold whereof has been presented to uncle joseph by his niece mrs blake there is an acre and a half of paddock attached to the cottage which it is supposed will be carried along in the march of the ages and eventually converted into a building land at ten shillings a foot frontage mr hardman loves to talk about this paddock as the fine thing for his children when he shall be dead and gone and to plan the sites of future cottages on the green sward as he strolls about his freehold of an evening smoking his pipe jessie is quick and bright and her sister's influence with the still stronger influence of refined surroundings has already smoothed away the rough edges of the vulgarity which struck lizzie so painfully during her stay in milton street jessie is fond of reading and lizzie has persuaded her to read clever books instead of silly ones she is fond of society but is modest and diffident in a circle where she feels herself inferior she thus gives herself time to learn before she commits herself to much speech and the general opinion round and about tangley is in favour of miss hardman horatia and clementine get on comfortably enough in their new home they bully the duenna and quarrel with each other a good deal yet are sworn allies and are held up as an example of devoted sisters they have put at home fridays four to six on their visiting cards and they entertain all the genteel womenhood of highclerk and within a drivable distance at the most elegant style of afternoon tea everything in their house which is not early english of the school of tottenham court road is unquestionably japanese they spend a good deal of money on hothouse flowers and do a great deal of high art work for charity bazaars they drive a good deal visit a good deal and give all their particular friends to understand in the strictest confidence that morton would have given worlds to retain the light of their presence at the manor but that from the moment he began to think of marrying lizzie hartman their departure was inevitable and yet we really have no fault to find with lizzie said horatia with calm patronage we both like her immensely in her place far away in boston mrs bernard hears of a legacy which has been left to her by a testator whose name is not to be communicated to her the legacy is a sum of six thousand pounds in ready money which is duly paid to jane bernard for her own separate use and maintenance 
by Mrs. Ferret and Foolscap of Lincoln's Inn, and Mrs. Bernard feels very sure that this gift, which reaches her within three months of Sir Everard Courtney's death, comes to her from that repentant sinner. The money is immediately invested as a sacred trust for her sons and daughters, and neither she nor her husband will touch a penny of principal or interest. Mrs. Aspinall has lost her faithful slave, Louisa Parker, lost her under circumstances which the dowager tearfully declares to have been of exceptional treachery. Louisa is Miss Parker no longer, for after spending a fortnight at the Towers, and shocking the susceptibilities of his sister in every hour of that fortnight, the jovial pork bircher proposed to Miss Aspinall's companion, and was promptly and cordially accepted, and now Mrs. Patrick Bryan rules over a boisterous brood of stepchildren, who hang about her with vile love, and is mistress of a smart villa at passage whither her husband retires to a hot supper and unlimited grog after the heat and burden of his day in cork city the novelty of the position the change from being ordered to ordering from the passive to the active voice of the verb is intoxicating to louisa but she is too sensible to lose her head amidst these happier surroundings or to play the tyrant because she has had to play the slave or to be extravagant with her husband's ample means because she has had so long to rub through life without any means at all worth speaking of mrs aspinall has tried three companions since louise's desertion and they have all behaved so badly after their diverse fashions that she has now given up the idea of hiring companionship impossibility the young women of the period is utterly unfit to earn her bread anywhere out of the ballet or the refreshment bar she informs frances grange frances and her brother are still single and life at black martin goes on in the old hundrum way enlivened only by field sports the delight whereof seems ever new to the earl's children but rumour hints that a certain wealthy lordling lately returned from a lengthened cruise in the south seas on board his trim steam yacht a gentleman whose estate lies within ten miles of black martin is desperately smitten with lady frances he hunts with the dalesher and as he and frances ride side by side for hours together three times a week and have been seen to hobnob in a sheltered corner over belleville's sandwich case and sherry flask it cannot be said that he lacks opportunities to urge his suit so the prevailing opinion is that there will be a wedding at the castle by and by when the close of the hunting season gives people time to think of such minor details in the business of life the end
End of chapter 53. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. End of Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braden.